Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today our subject is human trafficking. Trafficking victims are forced into life as sex slaves or other involuntary servitude. It's a worldwide problem, and St. Louis is something of a hotspot for what's called modern slavery. Joining me in studio are Katie Rhodes, trafficking survivor and the executive director of Healing Action, an outpatient recovery program for sex trafficking victims. Norman Murphy is a captain with the Missouri State Highway Patrol and a member of the Missouri Human Trafficking Task Force. He joins us by phone from Jefferson City. Captain, good to have you with us. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. Katie, great to have you with us in studio. Let me start with you. Uh, How is it that St. Louis would be called a hotspot for human trafficking? I think there's several factors that go into that. One, our proximity proximity to a different state, the highway system. Um, It tends to be a hub for commerce in general also. So you can move people pretty easily in and out of the St. Louis area. Without uh, attracting much attention, I guess that's Mm -hmm. part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Captain, how about statewide? How do we fare in Missouri? Oh, the problems, uh, it's a tremendous issue here in Missouri, Um, from Springfield to Kansas City. um, You know, uh, we've had huge initiatives in Springfield and some of the massage parlors down there, uh, human trafficking cases down there. Um, Once again, St. Louis, as Katie said, is a major issue as well. Is, is sex trade or, uh, Captain, is, is sex trade or the servitude issue more prominent uh, here? You know, that's a good question. I, I think they're both um, a significant problem. Uh, the issue is we're still working to figure that out, to be honest with you. Um, human trafficking for ex- sexual exploitation and for labor are a tremendous problem, and we're just trying to get our hand, handle on it. Katie, do you have any kind of a, a handle on it for the St. Louis, the immediate area here? Yeah, I think what makes it difficult to determine is that identification and prosecution of labor trafficking cases is extremely difficult. And so you will see agencies who work with immigrant and refugee populations identify labor trafficking, um, but getting it prosecuted or, or moving it past just the identification is difficult, and so we don't see those numbers. Uh, We primarily work with folks who have survived sex trafficking or commercial sexual exploitation. And so, as you can imagine, the majority of the people that we see uh, were forced into uh, the sex trade. How do they come to the attention of uh, authorities? Again, it depends on the situation, right? Um, You know, the folks that we serve, they tend to come to us or they get referred to us before they go to authorities. Uh, We do get some referrals from law enforcement, but most of our referrals are coming from word of mouth on the street or from other service providers. Um, You know, I I think you can run across quite a few individuals who are in the criminal justice system who have been trafficked since they were kiddos and that they just never were identified until now they're in the adult system. And Captain, how do they come to the attention to you, to law enforcement? Several different ways. You know, obviously there's a lot of prostitution rings, cases that we've worked. And for the longest time, we've come across these people and we just saw them as violators. Now we're taking more of a victim's approach as to these individuals being forced into prostitution, being human trafficked. Um, So it's no longer just a violator approach, but more of a victim approach. And we also, with this new training that we're 
for taking in in Missouri, it's giving us an avenue to actually seek out and look for these individuals that are being exploited and being trafficked. Are they primarily foreigners that are brought into this country for this purpose? Are they American women? And I, I suppose some men fall into this category as well. Oh, yes, yes. It's a wide variety, men, women. Um, I don't really think there's any uh, any certain individual that's left out of this problem or this issue. But are, are, are many, most perhaps, uh, foreign-born? You know, I, I don't know because... A lot of the victims that we see that uh, in the high-profile cases across the United States and, and Missouri specifically have, have not been foreign, but there, there are a lot of foreign um, cases involved. The, the cases in Springfield at the massage parlors were primarily foreign-born. Katie, what are you seeing here locally? We see our, the large majority of the folks that we serve, uh, whether they are male or female or U.S.-born. Uh, we do serve some individuals who are foreign-born, um, but they were trafficked here within the United States. They weren't, you know, how they got to the United States depends on the situation. Uh, but once they were here or even after they've, re, you know, been legally here in the U.S., um, they fall into or they, you know, end up with abusers and then they, we can see them be involved in human trafficking as well. We don't normally or often think of men being victims uh, for Correct. whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they become victimized generally? I think what we're seeing is the majority of the men that we have seen, it, it started as in their youth, and it's been started in their youth, or we see it more um, in the labor trafficking side or the GLBT community. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a pretty high rate of LGBTQ uh, youth. And so when folks are on the streets and they don't have any other way to survive, they're more susceptible to folks who are predatory um, or they engage in survival sex because that's the only way that they can get their needs met. That's pretty much what you you see, Captain? Yes, sir. Pretty much. um, You know, there's been a lot of studies out there that the FBI has done, and they say that a lot of these runaways um, are approached within 48 hours by these traffickers. These traffickers know what they're looking for. They'll go to areas like shopping malls or even bus stations and look for these individuals that are runaways and have nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to go. We'd like to get the uh, audience into this conversation, so I'll give the phone number right now. 382-8255 is the number. That's 382-TALK. You can send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or send us a tweet at STL on air. Perhaps you have a story you would like to tell with regard to this issue of human trafficking. Uh, we'd very much like to hear from you. Katie, let me come back to you. And is it may be difficult for you to tell some of your story, but uh, you do have a story. You were a victim. Tell us what you can. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, so I was uh, homeless uh, at 18 years old. Um, didn't have a great relationship with my family, some things going on there. And so I had a little bit of that 18-year-old hubris mixed with trauma, mixed with undiagnosed addiction. And so I was pretty primed and ready, I think, for somebody to come in and, and, I guess, talk me into or lead me down a different path. And so I started stripping just to put a roof over my head. Uh, That was going to be quick in my mind. It was, you know, I was going to get into a place and get out, um, and that didn't happen I fell deeper into it, um, and then I met a pimp. 
Um, I was also, I was 18. And so technically under the law, I was an adult. Mm -hmm. And so this particular pimp liked to target young women who are between 18 and 21 for that reason. And they liked to target folks who were already deemed as kind of not worthy in society's eyes. So that because I was a stripper, uh, not very many people would um, care, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so I was then, um, under false pretenses, taken to California and forced into prostitution. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was thankfully able to get out in 2002. So I was about 21 years old when I got out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was, a, it was a long road. It was about five years of treatment and healing before it even occurred to me to go back to school or to kind of do what I needed to do professionally. It took quite a, way, quite a bit of time to recover. How were you approached? Well, it really started with, um, you know, he was in the record industry. Uh, at the time, everyone said that they were in the record industry. So I had a, a little bit of like, uh-huh, sure. Um, but folks in the club recognized him and would say, do you know who that is? Do you know who that is? And and so it gave a little credibility. Um, and then he also picked up another girl who I knew as well. And so we were going to go to California. We were going to not have to be in the clubs. We could um, get away from the drugs. We could work in his record studio. We could, you know, do some of those things. And so uh, in my mind, what he was offering seemed better than what I was living at the time. And so I jumped on it and it happened pretty quick. There's there's more of this story oh, yeah. to tell, needless <laughs> to say. But, but before we move on, mm -hmm. um, what advice would you give to young women or men who might find mm -hmm. themselves uh, in the process of being or suspect that they might be in the process of being victimized? Absolutely. Uh, I think the advice is that there is help, that you um, you are not alone. There are individuals who have gone before you who have gotten up and gotten out. So there is hope. So please just reach out and uh, allow someone to walk that path with you. Captain, what, what tools do you have to work with in this, in this area? First off, we've got a lot of resources at our disposal throughout Missouri, the Attorney General's Office, a lot of the human task force agencies across the state, and there's, there's a considerable effort going on right now to, to address this issue. Um, recently, we've just underwent training that was provided to us by the Texas Department of Public Safety um, to help us locate these children that are being exploited, help, help us locate victims. Um, law enforcement hasn't really done a good job of training our people on how to, how to locate these people, how to deal with them when we find them, how to get them assistance that they need, that they require. And so we reached out to try to find some training, to find some, some ways that we can help these individuals. And the training we received has already paid some dividends. And being on these human task, force, task forces that we're on, we're developing partnerships and ways that we can get a better understanding of the problem and people we can turn to for help. To I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just people we can reach out to, to to help us address the issue. Yeah, that that's something I don't quite get in terms of how you train to to find these people, these victims. It's kind of amazing because when I went to Texas and I saw this training, I was very skeptical. Um, <clears throat> but the results have been overwhelming. Since this training has started, there's been over 200 missing or exploited children recovered 
throughout the country. Um, the training is basically t- teaches us what to look for, how to talk to children, how to talk to individuals, um, indicators <clears throat> that we might help us ask more questions. A lot of times these victims um, are afraid to talk. Uh, they're, they're afraid to give information. And the program we have just helped us understand the questions we can ask, even the questions we can ask the suspects that a lot of times they're willing to answer. In terms of, of, of recognizing you, uh, someone you think might be a victim, just, just give me, again, a, a sense of what you would look for or, or where you would look. Well, there's a lot of places you can look. On 60% of people that are abducted are transported by vehicles. Uh, that's an FBI statistics. We've we come in contact with vehicles every single day, and we've seen throughout the throughout history that many of these people that have been kidnapped, Elizabeth Smart, Sean Hornback, several others, have come across law enforcement during the course of their abduction, and for one reason or another, weren't weren't addressed in the appropriate way, and so they continued to be trafficked. They continued to be um, exploited. So the training just tells, teaches us, you know, how to talk to these individuals, uh, and like I said, what to look for. If, if you see a child uh, with an adult male, is the child supposed to be with that male? Um, is the child interactive with the male, or is, is she separated or broken off? And is it a child that's upset with her father, or is it a child that's afraid of the individual they're with. So just taking a chance to look a little bit further um, to make sure that what we're seeing is what we're seeing instead of something more brutal or something more diabolical. No problem for an officer then if he sees something suspicious like this to just approach the child or approach the adult or whatever to find out what's going on? That's what we're teaching and that's what we're being taught and it's been successful. It's just there's a certain age group of children, you just can't ask the same questions. So it, we're, another thing is they're trying to teach us what questions we can ask certain age groups, because all children won't re- respond in the same manner. I have to take a break now. We'll do that. We're talking about the issue of human trafficking. My guest in studio is Katie Rhodes, Executive Director of Healing Action. We'll talk with her when we come back about some of the work she's doing with uh, victims and former victims. And you just heard from Captain Norman Murphy with the Missouri State Highway Patrol. Back to continue the conversation, we'd like you to be a part of it at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org. Or if you would prefer to send us a tweet, do so, do so at STL on air. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. Welcome back to our conversation on human trafficking. Katie, let me come back to you. We've gotten a pretty good idea from the captain as to how people are found. But once they're found and once they're out of this mess, what do you do with them? Well, that's a big question. Um, 
the the first thing that we do is is really try to meet them where they're at. We work from a harm reduction model. Uh, we like to kind of meet them where they're at so that we're not setting them up to fail. Uh, several of our folks um, also struggle with addiction, so they struggle with the uh, opiates. And so we've had several folks um, use heroin and getting them stabilized on the drug addiction addiction front is probably one of the more important things that we can do initially. Um, how, how long do you work with them? Uh, our services are open-ended. So we've had mm. folks that we've provided services to for over two years, and then we've had folks who are, are just now coming in. Um, and then thankfully, we have several folks who are at different levels of care. Uh, we have a pretty small team right now. And so with our current caseload, it can get a bit hectic, but everybody is at um, kind of a certain level of care, so we're able to serve everybody, um, you know, getting their needs met. Is, is there any kind of a percentage or number or something that you can work with to indicate uh, how many of the people that are worked with through resources like yours who get back on track and don't fall back into the, mm -hmm. the old way of life? You know, I would say that over 80% of the folks that we've worked with have continued on their path to recovery. And so that can look bumpy initially. It can look whether it's relapsing on drugs, but then they're staying engaged with healing action services. And there's always going to be a little bit of that going back and forth, um, particularly with the folks, the domestic folks who we serve. Um, but then once they kind of, they learn that they can trust us, that we're not really... Um, we're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to call the police on them. We're not going to do those things, and they tend to stick around a little bit more. So I would say over 80% of the folks that we serve have continued to be in services at some point. That sounds like a pretty good number. It does. We have an email from Matt here who writes that uh, he's writing to see what are the vetted and verifiable resources for those who are being victimized. How are these entities vetted? That is a really good question. Um, they're not, and that can definitely be a challenge in trying to find services for individuals in the community. Um, I think you're, it's important to look for a – make sure that they have a 501c3 status, make sure that they can talk about the way that their program is going to benefit individuals, the theory behind their practice, like really asking those questions. Uh, we've had a pretty significant um, – increase in folks who want to help, which is great. Um, but we need to make sure that the services that are being provided are actually trauma-informed. They're actually therapeutic. And so that we're not harming or re-traumatizing uh, the victims. We see quite a bit of that with like re-exploitation as well. Hmm. Captain, do you work with these uh, organizations like this at all, those who are helping and these resources to, uh, to, to help victims? We are in the process of developing some of these resources and, and working with them and building these partnerships. That's part of the uh, Human Trafficking Task Force that the Attorney General started. That was part of the reason for that. And this training that we're now embarking on, we work with the Department of Health and Social Services and the Child Protections Unit to help um, put this training out. They are part of the training. They teach part of the, the training course. So, yes, we're... We're building those those partnerships. What what sort of legislation do you have to work with? I know there's uh, in this last session of the legislature there was something passed and signed by then Governor Greitens. Yeah, there there has been some new legislation passed. Obviously, there's uh, different states have different legislation, and 
I know like Texas has some things that we don't have that we're going to try to, to move forward here. So the, the new law that just passed makes it easier for us to prosecute these individuals. What's with Texas? Texas is doing the training, and Texas apparently is, is really uh, in the middle of all of this. Texas took the initiative. They started this program. They were having a tremendous issue in Texas, and so they applied for a COPS grant with the federal government, and they received a grant, and they developed this training, um, and they, they're pushing it out across the nation. So they, they took the lead on it. And they've done an outstanding job. There was a really good article in the Washington Post in February about the training. Uh, that if anybody wants to read uh, about the initiative, they can go to that February article and they can read more about it. Is this a relatively new um, uh, area for the Highway Patrol to be involved in? Yes, it is. Um, I saw the training, I think, in 2016, and it's taken me two years to get it here because Texas has been so busy teaching it all across the nation. Let's take a caller who uh, has been waiting patiently to get into the conversation, and that would be Val calling from Alton. Go ahead, Val. You're on the air. Hello. Yeah. Um, I know homeless can encompass a a great number of uh, people, but um, I'm actually wanting to know about those kids who have become um, couch surfers. We have a, a growing number of them over here in the Metro East, you know, who are rejected by their parents and staying on friends' couches while still going to school and stuff. And, of course, every now and then they stop going to the same couches and you think, oh, okay, they've gone back to their own families, but maybe not. So I was just wondering, is um, are they a growing number of concern with regards to um, being kidnapped and stuff? Uh, does the training that he's talking about in Texas cover this type of aspect? Thanks, Val. Uh, I'll turn this over to Katie. I think that sounds like maybe something you might have been involved in at one time. Yeah. Um, a large majority of folks who qualify or who are truly homeless do quite a bit of couch surfing. Um, different programs who serve homeless folks, though, do not count couch surfing as being homeless. And so to get access to homeless services, if you're couch surfing, you do not qualify, even though you're pretty much homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, most kids that we have run into or folks that we know when they were kids did quite a bit of couch surfing and it really became, that was the catalyst to their trafficking because they needed a place to say, someone would offer them a place, but then turn around and say, oh, by the way, you need to pay us or you need to pay us with your body because that's how you can pay us. Um, and so that's usually how it would get started. I asked the captain about uh, legislation. What what do you see that's on the books that is either good or maybe not so good? Well, there has been the more recent uh, FOSTA and SESTA. I do not remember what the acronyms stand for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but basically it has to do with the, with the Internet and Internet providers being able to um, – not take responsibility, basically, if folks are being sold through their platform. Uh, And so it shut down. I know when the Senate and the House both passed at the federal level, um, within a very short period of time, it shut down over 80% of Internet sites uh, where individuals were being sold. And so I think that there's pros and cons to that legislation. You know, one of the big pros to that legislation is that folks are now not able to profit. Um, I don't think people should be able to profit off of the sale of human beings. 
Uh, what we've also found, um, and I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, is we've had a, a very sharp in uptick in intakes and folks who are reaching out to our agency. Um, I've also touched base with some of the other agencies across the state, and they have seen the same thing. So there's been a quite a bit um, of uptick of people reaching out and saying, I need help. What we've also seen in that is that a large majority of the folks who have reached out to us recently, over half of them, it's been spouses who have been trafficking them. So I, I think there's a lot of underground trafficking happening already. Um, and what this legislation has done has kind of pushed it a little bit more out in the open. And mm-hmm. so they're able to kind of come forward and reach out for help. Captain, the Internet really opens up a whole new ball game for all of this, doesn't it? Yes, it truly does. Um, Backpage and Craigslist has, has been a thorn in law enforcement side for many years. And yet that legislation shut that down. Um, which is a, tre- a tre- tremendous thing, not just not just for trafficking cases, but for a wide variety of of crimes that were occurring due to Craigslist and Backpage. We the legislation that uh, recently went on the books. I guess it hasn't gone into effect yet in Missouri, but will in, uh, in months. It, uh, from what I understand, one of the things it does is it, it, it requires posters to be uh, to be displayed in, in in areas where they might be effective. Are posters going to solve this problem, Captain? I think it'll just provide information on who to turn to or, or where to go. I mean, a lot of people don't know who even to call in cases of they suspect human trafficking. And there's there's numbers out there. The Attorney General's office has a hotline that you can call. So the posters are just going to steer people towards who they can call for help or or who they can go in case they have information that needs to be provided. And I know a lot of those posters are being developed as we speak. We have another caller that uh, has a question that is is key to all of this. And so let's bring in Jude calling from Edwardsville. Jude, go ahead. Jude, turn down the radio. Okay, let's lose that call. Uh, the question is one that uh, is is very important to all of this, and that is the fact: what can John Q. Citizen do? Uh, what limitations does the citizen have if he or she sees something in the nail salon or wherever mm-hmm. that uh, she or he thinks is suspicious? Go ahead, Katie. Yeah, I think um, I think the community can do a lot. Um, of course, I'm going to say this: support a local agency who provides victim services. Um, and so that's definitely a way that can that an individual can get involved, but also really learning about the issue and learning what it looks like. Uh, several of our folks have gone through; um, they have been in and out of systems, in and out of churches, in and out of places, and they weren't identified because we don't our our view about what it looks like is off. Um, also, if you do run across something that you think is suspicious, it's always important to reach out to the proper law enforcement. It is pretty dangerous to go and try to intervene yourself. Um, and it's not just for you. It's also for the safety of the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, you are an, you know, Joe, whoever individual is one person. And so you need a team to help break up whatever it is that you're mm-hmm. seeing. And so you can actually be putting the victims in harm's way if you choose to intervene on your own. Uh, Captain, any further advice on that? This gets very, very tricky, I would uh, assume, because you don't want to make a false accusation, certainly. I think Katie hit it right on the head, making sure you call the appropriate people and staying staying aware of what's going on in your community. 
Um, if there are missing children, if you see those posters, don't just don't just gloss over them, but actually take the time to read them. You know, one of the cases uh, of a missing young lady by the name of Shasta Groney, she was found basically by a Denny's waitress who recognized her and called law enforcement, and she was recovered basically because that waitress took the opportunity to get involved and call the authorities. How many recoveries would you say that uh, are involved here in, in, in Missouri in general, or perhaps you know about St. Louis as well? I have no idea. I mean, obviously, many years ago, Sean Hornback was recovered, and there was another child with him at that time. Um, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but, you know, if it's just one, if, if we just save one child, obviously we're doing an outstanding thing. Well, I understand that the number of calls, Katie, are way up with regard to issues here. So, And they have been rising every year, which would indicate a growing problem. Yes and no. Uh, I think it's it could indicate a growing identification versus an actual growing number. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you, I guess, a little bit, we've served um, over 90 people since November of 2015. Our current caseload is about 60. We have about 60 individuals who we're serving. And then just in the last couple weeks, so in two weeks, we've had um, 10, 10 or 12, I can't remember now, 10 or 12 intakes mm-hmm. just in two weeks. And wow. our numbers are going up. They're not yeah. going down. We have an email from Madonna who writes, how does Missouri's incredibly low age of 15 to get a marriage license complicate our human trafficking problem? Do you have a sense of that, Katie? I know that there are some folks who are working to change that in Missouri. Uh, I think that it does. It can definitely set individuals, um, kids up to be abused. I'm not exactly sure of the direct link to human trafficking, but there is a link to abuse. Right. And and drugs, as you have mm-hmm. indicated, uh, is is almost a guarantee to be part of this problem? Um, it, yes, yes, uh, the vast majority. Um, either they were already addicted from childhood um, or they were trafficked as children, so then they started addiction early, or they were given drugs or started taking drugs to cope with it. Captain, anything to add to that part of it? You know, the 15 age does present a tremendous problem because if you're 15 and you're obviously seeing a 37 or a 40-year-old, male or female, whatever the case may be, um, it does expose itself to the great age difference. Is it truly a a, a love situation or is, or is this person nearly want this person so they can traffic them and exploit them? Katie, have you come across many situations where marriage has been involved? Yes, but it's adults and current. So um, meaning um, folks who have gotten into abusive relationships or they have gotten into relationships and the relationships have turned abusive. Um, Trafficking or or kind of forcing their wife out on the streets is something that we've seen quite a bit. We're going to have to wrap this up. Let me ask both of you to put a bottom line on this. Captain, I'll start with you. What's uh, what's a final thought you want to leave us with? You know, I think one of the biggest things is we've We've got, as law enforcement, to consider these people that we come in contact with as victims. Now, if we come across a prostitution arrest, look beyond that to make sure that's just not what's going on here, that this person could be a victim. Same thing with people that are addicted to opioids. Um, Is there more to the case? You know, we're doing whatever we can to try to address this issue. And 
It's going to be a tremendous undertaking, but as I said earlier, if we can just save one person, it'll be well worth it. Uh, just one quick uh, question just comes to mind here with regard to local law enforcement and the training. Are they getting uh, sufficient training? To That's where the action is uh, primarily. Uh, they are getting some training. Um, we're going to take this training statewide. Part of the training here in Missouri was we trained trainers, and those trainers are going to start traveling across the state and giving this training. We're going to do a training session in Springfield, Missouri in September. There's going to be one here in August in Jefferson City, and then we'll get to St. Louis and Kansas City um, probably in October and November and start providing this to the agencies that would like to take the course. And Katie, do you have confidence that this uh, this is going to be helpful? Yes, I, I, th- I, think, it, I think it will. Um, I do know that St. Louis City does, St. Louis City, St. Louis County, both have an anti-trafficking task force on within their police departments, and the St. Louis County has done quite a bit of work um, here locally and then also across the state. And they've been, you know, investigating trafficking cases for quite some time now, and so I do have confidence in the St. Louis County and St. Louis City that they're moving forward on this. Do they come to you? Do they work with you? Is that something that happens? We do. Uh, we, it's, uh, you know, I, they got my cell number. I got their cell number. It just kind of, if we, if we need to talk about stuff, we talk about stuff. Um, but yeah, we work pretty closely with them. Okay. And your, uh, your final thought, I know that there, there are a lot of people that you're working with, obviously. Uh, what, what's your final word for, particularly for those uh, young people out there who might potentially have some potential to be victimized? Yeah, I, I think the, the important thing for the community is is to always keep your eyes open, that it's okay to say something if, if you think something seems off. Um, you can reach out to individuals who know what they're looking for, and then they can make that determination. I think the other aspect to um, really to social service providers is that when we when we interact with victims or we start providing them services, it's really important not to re-traumatize and re-exploit individuals. And the folks that we serve – when we hold power over them because we're in charge of their housing, because we're in charge of their food, um, it's very easy to um, – they're more likely to agree to do things uh, because we ha- hold that power. And so it's okay for survivors, for victims to say no, to say that they don't want to do something even to a, sur- a service provider. And then it's important for service providers to really take into account the trauma that the individuals have had. Yeah, well, this is quite a story. And we'll be putting information mm-hmm. regarding your service and also some of the things that uh, the captain has mentioned with regard to uh, to information that's been publicized before. We'll put them on our website at stlpublicradio.org. Captain, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure talking to both of you. And Katie Rhodes, thank mm-hmm. you so much for being with us. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Captain Murphy is with the Missouri State Highway Patrol and Katie, Executive Director of Healing Action. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.